It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. I don't know about you, but I reckon those first lines of A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, I reckon they sum up something of the mood of how we are feeling at this very moment. Because as the weather oscillates, as our news feeds oscillate, as the economy oscillates between this spring of hope and winter of despair, so too we do. We oscillate, we go up and down between hope and despair. You know, as we think about the vaccine, we go up and down. As we think about Prince Philip, we remember a wonderful long life lived of service, and yet there is despair too, as we think particularly of the dear queen and the royal family as they grieve and and mourn his loss. We, We hover at this time between the spring of hope and the winter of despair. And I think that's how it was too for God's people in Haggai's time. Hovering between this spring of hope and winter of despair. Previously, they had been carted off, God's people, into exile in Babylon. And whilst we now, we might feel something like having been in exile this last year with the pandemic, you know, this sense of being scattered, unable to meet physically as God's people, this longing for a return to meeting together, a lamenting of what we had in the past, a a looking forward to the familiar again. For the people of God back then, they had actual exile in Babylon, far more significantly and for far longer, for 70 years And now, after 70 years in exile, what has happened? They've been allowed to return to Jerusalem, with the main purpose being to rebuild the temple that is in ruins. And a few years after they have returned, Haggai comes and he brings them four prophecies. Four, if you like, God-inspired sermons, which are very precisely dated. They all took place in 520 BC. And the first of which we're looking at today, it's chapter one of Haggai. It was given on what we know as the 29th of August, 520 BC, but which they knew as verse one in the second year of King Darius on the first day of the sixth month. You see, for God's people in 520 BC, things were hovering between the spring of hope and the winter of despair in this new post-exile era that they were beginning. And so too the same can be said of us, hovering between the spring of hope and the winter of despair as we contemplate the possibility of a post-pandemic era. And so here's the question that I think it is worth us all asking as we think about the start of this, if you like, this new era. The question's this, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? As you look forward to this new era, the coming weeks, months, years, even decades, what are you hoping for? Just try and picture it a bit. To try and make it sort of a bit more concrete, can I ask you to imagine what do you hope your life will look like if you can get what you really want to have in the coming months and years? Just imagine it, picture it. What do you want your life to look like? What are you hoping for? 
It was a key question for God's people back in Haggai's time, just as it's a key question for you and me today. And what I want to ask you, when you think of what I have just asked you to imagine there, what I've asked you to picture there, I want to ask you, is God there? Is God present? Is God at the very centre of that picture of what you hope your life will look like in the coming months and years that I've just asked you to imagine? Is God there at its very centre? Because here's what's going on in Haggai's time. Look at verse 2 up on the screen. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now, just as you look at that, you've just got to be quickly alerted. There's going to be something wrong here because God doesn't say, my people say the time has not yet come. It says these people say. So something's wrong here. God's not saying my people. He's saying these people. Now, I'm sure if we asked these people to expand on what they were saying, they would have had all sorts of seemingly good reasons why it wasn't yet time to rebuild the temple. You know, the land was tough, the work was hard, the economy wasn't great. Plenty of God's people, they were still in exile, they hadn't returned to Jerusalem. Uh, People were opposing the temple ever being rebuilt. All of those reasons we know were true. But verse 4, God sees straight through it all and he calls them out on it. Look at verse 4. God says to them, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses whilst this house, the temple, remains a ruin? It's a question of priorities, isn't it? You know, God's saying you seem to have plenty of time to focus on your own homes. You you know, you've done the loft conversion, you've put in the conservatory, you've gone to get your farrow and ball paints, you've bought the hot tub. Your own home is looking very nice, thank you very much. You might even say it's looking luxurious, what with all these wooden panelling. But what about my house, says God? What about that? It's lying in ruins and you're saying the time hasn't yet come to focus on that. What are your priorities? And it's this question of priorities that we need to ask ourselves at the start of this new era. Are we, you and I, are we going to go with God's priorities or our own? Because here is my fear. This is my fear. The the exile experience of the pandemic has caused us all to be like God's people back then. What's it done? It's, it's, It's shrunk our perspectives. And we find ourselves in an all too small world You know, let's say it as it is. We find ourselves in an all too small world of self-absorption where we've been so wrapped up, if we're honest, we've been so wrapped up in our own concerns, in our own survival, in our own well-being, in our own family, we've been so wrapped up in that that we've neglected the bigger thing, the concerns and the glory of God. And that's why God's words To the people back then through Haggai, they are vital words to us today. They're a challenge. Just look at the refrain. I don't know if you spotted it as James read it, but it came twice in verse 5 and verse 7. This is what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Think it through a bit. Think it through, says God. Do a bit of self-reflection. Give careful thought to your ways. Back in my um, mid-twenties, now nearly 20 years ago, uh, when I was just changing from being a management consultant to a church minister, this book came out by the American pastor, John Piper, called Don't Waste Your Life. It's a brilliant book. It was a real help and a real challenge to me. Now, as I mulled over this thing in my mid-twenties, management consultant or church minister, which way should I go? What this book was most definitely not saying was, you know, church minister, yay, management consultant, boo. 
Okay, far from it. It wasn't saying that. But what it was saying was this, that wherever you work, whatever job you do, Whatever the circumstances you are in, in this moment of your life, don't waste your life, make it count for Christ. And this one story that John Piper told, it always sticks with me. The story of the couple collecting shells. He'd read it in a copy of Reader's Digest magazine of a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in their 50s and they moved to Florida and they went and lived in this sort of deluxe boat in Florida. It probably had wooden paneling. And they spent their days playing softball and collecting shells on the beach. Each day, just collecting shells on the beach. That is how they spent the last decades of their lives, just collecting shells on the beach in Florida with their deluxe boat. And it was written in this article as though this was this couple achieving the ultimate dream, collecting shells. And then John Piper made this comment. He said, picture them before Christ on the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy, wrote John Piper. That's a tragedy. And he's right. Don't waste your life. Give careful thought to your ways. Please, may you and I not use our one and only precious God-given life solely with the aim of collecting shells or solely with the aim of having wood paneling in our houses. And the fascinating thing that the people of Haggai's day found is that God, he has actually set up this world in such a way that we come to recognize the foolhardiness of getting our priorities wrong. Look at verse 6. He says, you've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Nothing seems to satisfy. Now, I don't know if you reckon this, but I reckon at the moment, I think the thing that we are all searching for is security. It's what they were searching for back then. In Haggai's time, after all the insecurity of having lived in exile, they wanted security. It's what we are all searching for now after the insecurity of having to live through a pandemic. We long for security. And we can so easily think, well, if I have this position or this relationship or this house or this style of living or this child or this job or this collection of shells or this wood paneling, if I have that, well, then it'll fulfill me. Then I'll be secure. But it's never enough. Verse 9, verse 9, God says, you expected much, but see, it's turned out to be little. Is that your experience of life too? You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. And if it is, then God's instruction to us is to get our priorities sorted. Verse 8, he says to God's people back then, he says, go up into the mountains, bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. We're to let God's priorities become our priorities. And of course, as we do that, you know, actually, only then will we know true security because we'll be focused above all on the one thing that doesn't disappoint us, that doesn't let us down, that does satisfy, that does bring us security, and that is God himself.
Now, how does God's people, back then, how do they respond to this hard-hitting message that Haggai gives them? I asked James to read the first 11 verses only, but let me now read the last few verses of the chapter to you, just so you can see how God's people respond to what they've just heard through Haggai, this challenge from Haggai. So this is verse 12. Verse 12, it goes like this. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. Now there's so much more that I could say, but here's the main point to note. God's presence stirs us up to action. Just four simple words there from God. Did you hear them? I am with you. God's presence. I'm with you. But God's presence, I am with you. That is the security that God's people need to get going with the work of God's priorities, building the temple. In all that's been said about Prince Philip over the last couple of days, I don't know what the thing is that you've most been struck by. But the thing I've been most struck by is what the queen herself said about him. How he was her strength and stay all these years. This idea that Prince Philip's presence with her has been what has enabled her to continue to give out as our monarch over all these years. His presence with her was the security, the strength that she needed. Well, you know, how much more does the presence of God Almighty himself give you and I the security and the strength we need to keep serving? I am with you, declares the Lord to you if you're trusting in Jesus. I am with you. And do you remember where the the Lord said those words again in the New Testament? Spoken again by God, Remember Jesus there in his great commission just before he ascends to heaven. What does Jesus say to his disciples? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, here we go, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, really, those verses in Matthew, at the end of Matthew's gospel, the Great Commission, they are the best application for each one of us to Haggai chapter one. You see, taking on God's priorities for us now, it doesn't mean us focusing on, you know, rebuilding some sort of physical temple now. No, it doesn't mean that. It did back then. It's not what it means for us now. For the temple back then in Haggai's time, it was all about God being present with his people in the temple. That's why when Jesus came, you may remember, Jesus declared himself to be the true temple because Jesus was God present with his people. And now you and I, all followers of Jesus, we are described as God's temple in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, we are God's temple, each one of us, as God lives in us and amongst us by his spirit. 
So the temple you and I are to prioritize now, the, the temple that we are to be building up, that temple is the people of God. You know, quantitatively, as people come to know Jesus, and qualitatively, as people grow as disciples of Christ. And yes, that can include improvements to our physical church building, as we're looking to do with Revitalize 250. But those improvements, they're not about sort of, you know, God being more present if we have a nicer, bigger building. No, of course not. They're about this building being better able to support our vision of growing the people of God throughout South London as we long to see more and more people bearing fruit for Jesus in their lives, both our own, our own lives and other people's lives. So in the last few minutes, as I close, what have I done? I've asked you, what are you hoping for? I've asked you to engage your, your emotions, to engage your imagination, to picture how you would like the coming months and years to look like. What are you hoping for? Then I've asked you to give careful thought to your priorities. I've asked you to engage your mind, your intellect, your reasoning. Are your priorities, are they like the people of God back then? Are you too self-absorbed? Are you needing actually to shift, to change, so you're focusing on God and his priorities, not wasting your life? And now, finally, I ask you to honor God with your actions. To honor God with your actions. For quite frankly, it's no use us just feeling challenged by Haggai's message to us. It's no use just having good intentions to change my priorities if there's no actual action. See, God's people back then, verse 14, it says they were stirred up by God. Now, sometimes when we think about being stirred up, we think, well, I'm, I'm being stirred up in my emotions. I, I feel all gooey. Maybe God's at work in me. I stirred up in my emotions, but that's not what he's talking about. They're not stirred up so much in their emotions. They're stirred up to action. They are stirred up to do something about it. They're stirred up to obey God. Look at what it says at the end of verse 14. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. You see, if you come up to me at the, at the end of the service, or if you email me this coming week, and you say, thank you so much, Jago, for a wonderful sermon. You know, it was a great challenge to me. Fine, that's very nice of you. But you know, quite frankly, so what? So what? But if you tell me, if you tell me, well, you know, I, I wasn't reading my Bible, I wasn't praying, because I, I, I was so, I'm being so wrapped up in work, and I've just thought work is so important, and as soon as I get up, I've just got to get to my table in my living room, and I've just got to start working all the hours that God gives me. I've just been work, work, working, I haven't been reading my Bible, I haven't been praying, but you know what, now, now I've changed. Now I've started reading Bibles, started praying, because I've realized that my security, it's not in my work, my security, it's in God. They're telling me that, that'll be awesome. Or if you tell me I wasn't having any conversations with my friends about Jesus because I, I was afraid that they might reject me and they wouldn't like me if I started talking to them about Jesus. But now, now I've started to have conversations with them because I've realized actually I get my security not from the affirmation of my friends, but I get my security from knowing Jesus present with me always. And he's present with me always, always. And so I can be bold because he's present with me even if my friends reject me. And so I'm wanting and I'm longing for them to come and be part of God's people too. Telling me that, that would be awesome. 
Or telling me I've ditched the, the, the wooden paneling in my housing and I'm going to give the money I've saved to revitalize 250 because I realize my security is in my, not in my home, but my security is in God and seeing him at work in others. Telling me that, that'd be awesome. Or, or telling me I, I'm actually wanting to, to use my Sunday mornings to serve in the kids' groups rather than just having a lazy morning in bed because actually I realize if I look back over the last months, I've been far too self-absorbed. Just been thinking about my little world. Actually, I need to have a bigger focus. I need to be thinking, what is it to look like to build up the people of God? Telling me that, that would be awesome. You see, all of us, if we are stirred up to action, if we're stirred up to make changes in our lives, to honor God, honor him with our time, with our money, with our gifts, with our whole lives, that would be awesome. Because yes, this requires a personal, individual response from each of us but also it requires a collective response from all of us wonder if you noticed verse 12 verse 14 it was Zerubbabel and Joshua the leaders but then it says it was the whole remnant of the people of God the whole remnant all of them every single one of them that came back from exile to Jerusalem it was all of them the whole people collectively decided my priorities they are changing they are changing to be in line with God's priorities and so HDC may all of us the whole of the people of HDC may we choose to act May we choose to make God's priorities our priorities. Because if we want to see God's people built up, if we want to see God's people growing in number throughout South London, then where it needs to start is with all of us. Each one of us. Shall we pray? Let's pray. As I've prepared this sermon, I've been praying that God would stir us up. God would stir us up, not just in our emotions, but in our actions. He'd stir us up to act. And I'm guessing that some of you, as I've been speaking already, God has been stirring you up and pinpointing so clearly what is the action you need to take. And that's wonderful. Where it is you need to shift your priorities where you need to not be so self-absorbed, where, where God's priorities need to become your priorities, where you've had your security in the wrong thing. Let's just have a moment of quiet just before I pray and just pray quietly by yourself, Lord, show me, stir me up to what action I need to take. As I look forward to the coming weeks and months and years, what action do I need to take now. Let's just be quiet for a moment. And I'm going to echo, I'm going to pray a prayer that you might like to echo in your heart. 
Lord God, I'm sorry where I've had my priorities all wrong. Lord God, I'm giving careful thought to my ways. And Lord God, as I come out of the exile of lockdown, I want to honor you with my actions. Lord God, thank you for stirring me to action. And today I commit to this thing, whatever this thing is for you. I commit to obeying you. I commit to it as part of following you. I commit to it as part of living for you. As part of playing my part in building up the people of God. God, this day I commit to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand and let's uh, continue to respond?